Inverse Genius Episode 62, Fortnightly, Spectrums of Boring. In this episode, Don is joined by T. Cares, also known as The One Tar, to talk about art supplies, hiking the Pacific Coast, and jazz Hey, if you like what you hear and you'd like to support us, you can go to patreon.com slash obg. Everything that comes in from there goes to cover our monthly podcasting costs, which we appreciate. Thanks. Welcome to another episode of the Inverse Genius Fortnightly, the show where we talk about all of our non-game-related stuff. If you're looking for games, head over... Well, okay, that's not true. All of our non-tabletop game-related stuff. If you're looking for that, head over to Onboard Games, where we talk about board games and role-playing games and all of that kind of thing. Uh, Here, we are here to talk about the stuff that we're excited about and we think that you might enjoy as well. I am Donald Dennis, and I'm here with... T. Kairos, and we're going to be talking about things and or stuff or activities. You never know what you're going to get here. Hi, T. Hello. Welcome to this show. This is a new one for you. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I was like confused. <laughs> I was like, you're welcoming the audience. And I was like, "How?" I guess I could be new to them. Yes, this is new to me. Um, I think this is the third show that I've been on with you. Uh, yes, yes, but indeed. this one, this, this, t- this, this type of show this series of show is new so yeah all right so let everybody know in case you would like to be found on social media i know that you are not big into social no that's not true let people know where they can find you if you would like to be found um i am mostly on twitter i am predominantly on twitter uh the one tar is me i am the one Mm -hmm. tar everywhere else on internet but uh i had to delete instagram off my phone because I got too into looking at uh, pictures of dogs and like mountains <laughs> and stuff. And I got really emotionally attached to some of the Instagram dogs. And it just, it really, it, I couldn't handle it when something bad happened to the Instagram dogs. Oh, no. So I had to remove Instagram from my phone, but I still have Instagram. <laughs> it's like, I just can't. It's weird. Anyway. It's, you was, can't just yeah. accidentally binge it. You're like, oh, I lost half an hour. Where'd, oh, it went down the Instagram dog. Hole. Yeah. Every once in a while, because I, I still have the account and I get on it for like board gamer stuff um, occasionally. But and I'll like catch myself scrolling on the web, but it's it's like it's down to once a month as opposed to like once an hour. So mm, nice. <laughs> you know, fantastic. Right, so let's uh, we need to look back at some previous stuff that we've talked about, and I'm trying to think if there's any updates on anything because at the beginning of the show I usually try and look back at stuff and say, oh, we've talked about these shows, but none of the shows that I've talked about have anything new. So no, I guess that's a wasted segment. I apologize for wasting everybody's time. Uh, is there anything that you've been, I know that this isn't what you're talking about, but anything that you've been watching or encountering out in the wilds of excitement that you want to mention? Um, not really. We don't, I don't do a lot of pop culture stuff. Like we don't have Netflix. We actually have zero streaming services. Um, (laughs) I know. So usually when I watch something, it's like months later. Um, uh, and so, and I actually managed to stay relatively unspoiled, which is, which is funny. I think it's cause I don't like care really. <laughs> I don't know why it's weird. I don't know why. Um, yeah. So right now what we watch is we do have like the entirety of cheers. Uh, mm. <laughs> so we've been slowly watching cheers. And then with the passing of Betty White, we also started watching, uh, golden girls. So, um, that's the like, hi, <laughs> High entertainment we're watching in this house. Um, mostly we How does play Cheers stuff. Hold up? Cheers holds up okay. It actually there's it's actually really surprising. There were several episodes uh, in season two that talked about gay men specifically, um, and they held up real well. Um, mm. It it was kind of it was it was you know everything circles back again um, kind of thing. It was really interesting, so that held up really well. Um, yeah, we're only on season three or halfway through season three. Uh, I, I, but there's only been Sam Malone's character and like how he sexualizes women is like a major part of that show. And it can be a little much. There's like a whole scene with like playboy bunnies, uh, and that's kind of like, but they, they purposely are making him be too much and then have Diane like 
counter that. And so it actually ends up working, but, um, and not, I think in the way that the original creators intended. So it's really interesting that Diane is actually was written to be more of the like, Oh, come on, Diane character. But nowadays it's like, no, that's actually, that's good. Good on you, Diane. (laughs) Like, Mm. so it's kind of, it's a funny one. Um, but yeah, it it does definitely feel like it's going to be of its time. Right. But yeah. um, Yeah. Um, but otherwise the stuff is kind of, it, it still works. Um, there's some funny stuff about uh, fishing and camping and all that kind of stuff. But uh, actually, I realized we mostly play games. Mo- um, for not playing tabletop games, we play video games. Um, mm. But I'm very bad at that too. Like Hades, <laughs> uh, I haven't I haven't beaten Hades yet. I still play Hades occasionally. I had to wait until God mode was a thing because I just kept losing. And I know that's the point, but like I was really really bad at it. Um, so we've been playing a game most recently called It Takes Two, which is a couch co-op game. Mm-hmm. And it's about uh, a married couple who are going to get a divorce and their little girl overhears them talking about this. And so she accidentally sort of on purposely uh, casts a spell and now they're trapped in puppet figures uh, and doing a bunch of like adventure things to try and get back to the house and like have her undo the spell. Um, that sounds so, yeah, neat. it's really fun. And it's a really interesting couch co-op because it's everybody, each player has different abilities and you really have to work together, but it's funny because the characters are processing their, you know, relationship dissolving essentially. And so they're actively hostile to each other <laughs> in the dialogue um and so it's really kind of weird because it's like you have to be a couch co-op but they begrudgingly don't want to work together (laughs) and it's like oh okay um but it's a really yeah yeah, it sounds like it probably gets a little darker bitter in places yeah it can it can get a little real we call it the divorce game um when we talk about it and some days we just can't we can't play it because of the heavy matter i we haven't finished it yet so we don't know if there's a happy ending at the end um but we do like there are natural parts where it's like these people have been partners for at least 10 years. And so you it like comes out that they have that history. It's just something's changed. Um, but yeah, they do a good job. They do a good job talking about the relationship of these of these humans um, and this marriage in a way that is maybe a little too real. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, it's still fun. Uh, and it's it, I think they handle it well for the subject matter. So, yeah. Nice. Well, I, I may look into that. I don't know. I tend to find one game and worry at it a lot until until I just get tired of it. And so right now I'm still wrapping up my inscription binge, which is a, it's a deck building card game that has weird elements that we may do a whole episode on in the future. But once a couple more of my friends have finished playing it all the way through so that we can have a good good chat about it. But if you're interested in it, I'm just going to tell you it is weird. Um, and it has deck building stuff. And if you play Slay the Spire and you like that, but you also like other weird stuff, then go into it, play it, but do not, do not research the game at all. Just take it on the, this is Donald's one token that he gets to spend to recommend something to you that you get into without doing any research on. Okay. And otherwise, you know, if it doesn't sound interesting, don't do it. I don't, I'm traditionally not a huge deck building fan, though I did like Slay the Spire. Uh, but this was weird and strange, and and I loved all kinds of things about it as much as it creeped uh, other people in the house out. We'll just say that. Oh, okay then. I kind of like that. The yeah, the that's a good. You got me interested. So. It's on Steam. It's inscription with a Y. So inscription with a Y. Okay. Check that out. All right. Yeah. Um, so I just noticed that my microphone is the wrong microphone. I plugged in this camera not too long ago and it is the microphone I'm using. Is my audio okay? Or is it bad enough I should change? No, no, it sounds fine. Yeah. Then we will keep going with this. And listeners, if it is horrible, I have no one to blame but myself uh, because I should have done all my checks before we started. Okay. So let's talk about some of the stuff that we're excited to talk about as our big, big topic. What would you like to go first or would you like for me to dive in? I mean, I, I just, you can dive in. I'm already really excited about 
talking about what you wanted to talk about because it's 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 one of my like ho- it's my indoor hobby like that is currently nice. my big indoor hobby so <laughs> so previously i talked about the uh, jazz's three boxes of you know art fun the minis box the sculpting box i don't remember what the other one was but so over a year ago i talked about it and at this point uh, he has released a new box and it's the Jazz's professional artist uh, box pro, pro it's Jazz's pro artist series box. And yeah. it's mostly uh, all the stuff that he says, if you want to start doing professional art, that this is a good starter kit and it will be something you can dive into with. And it comes with uh, a big set of spectrum noir markers. And it comes mm-hmm. with some really cool fine liner pins and uh, comes with some uh, marker board and comes with some coloring book pages and a couple of pencils and an eraser. Yeah. So you'll notice that I got a little less excited as we went along, but uh, I found this to be a pretty fantastic set. And now you've said you're familiar with this already, right? That you're I am. heard of this. Yeah. So Jazza. So one of my hobbies um, that I'm super into is coloring. Um, mm. I really like coloring and I've watched a number of videos, um, jazz's videos, um, and also other artists videos, uh, when they're coloring. And one of the things that they're doing as a, or they did as a marketing campaign for this box was jazz has sent this to a lot of like coloring YouTubers. And so I've actually seen several, um, videos talking about it. And I also have looked at potentially purchasing it, but <laughs> the, um, I, I'm bad a, news. Well, I most, I know it's gone now, but I mostly color with colored pencils. Um, mm. and I have, I have four sets right now. Um, Ooh. of, I only like the largest set I have is a hundred. It's the Crayola hundred. Um, but I'm like not letting myself buy anymore until I, use at least one of those sets like up so <laughs> that's that's the only reason i didn't end up getting it uh <laughs> i don't understand this whole restraint thing um <laughs> with with purchasing art supplies that's not something that i i try to encounter whenever i can avoid we're skipping we're, we're skipping for my topic i'm now <laughs> talking about what t's interested in here what, what's your favorite set of uh, colored pencils um I really like Faber Castells. Um, mm. and I think it's because I like the way that they are shaped. They have like a, they're like a hexagon shape almost, yes. but then they have little bumpies on the outside, which help with grip. Um, I like them. I like how they feel. Uh, and then I also like the softness of the pigment. I find it's a lot easier to, to get the pigment where I want and to blend it in, but it's not as soft as like, um, the Prisma or prime prime. I bad yeah, at Prisma color. Yeah. Um, cause I have a set of those too and they're very expensive and they're like, they're like coloring with butter a little bit. Like, Oh, they are. Um, yes which is very soft and very nice. And like, sometimes I like it, but I just feel like with those, I don't know, having spent a lot of time coloring with Crayola, Faber-Castells are like as soft as I want. Like, cause Crayolas are so hard and I, I'm coloring right now a big alligator crocodile piece, which I've been posting photos on my Twitter. Um, and I'm using Crayola for that. And it's, it's just what I use still because I still like them, but they are very hard and they leave, um, if you're not careful, they leave stroke marks a lot easier. And so mm-hmm. the, with the Faber-Castell, it's easier to color with those and not do stroke marks. So it's like, it's very um, three little bears, right? Like <laughs> this bed's too hard, which is the Crayola. And then the, fa- the, the Prisma marks, I'm like, this is too soft. And then the fabric castles. I'm like, this is just right. So, I I was sort of raised on Prismacolors because when you go to graphic design school and illustration stuff, then that's that's what you get, right? Mm. Mm-hmm. It's like you either get the stuff from uh, those of you from Oklahoma will know TGNY, or you go and you get something from the art supply store. And in Oklahoma in the '80s, that's what you got. Was you got the Prismacolors. 
So I love those a lot. But the, my problem with colored pencils as a whole is I had so many different kinds of paper and I was surprised and I continue to be surprised whenever I pick up a random piece of paper from my collection of scrap. The different papers that you use has such a huge effect on the way colored pencils work. Yeah. More so than even with pencil or, well, I guess maybe not with ink because if you are drawing on a sponge with ink, you're going to see bleed. But yeah, that um, I, I have fallen in love with watercolor pencils, uh, which oh yeah, basically you're drawing with watercolor paint, and you can either wet the wet the brush first and and or wet the tip and draw really thick, almost pastel like. Yeah, there's a lot of things you can do to play. There's with so many. Well, how do you? What's your preferred technique? Do you do the the pencil first and then wet it after, or do you like make a little? Um, like a little palette on a scratch paper that you color and like, what do you, how do you generally, or do you do a mix? Well, my, my, my technique is to do it all poorly. Uh, but I start with generally laying down the fields of color and, you know, then using the brush on those and then maybe either using the, a wet tip or a paintbrush and using the paint straight from the pencil with the brush to lay down edges and, and whatnot like that. Uh, and Sorry. it's hilarious because my coworker hates them. Whenever we're doing uh, art day on Wednesday, and I said, it's colored pencil. It's uh, not colored pencil day. It's watercolor pencil day. He's like, oh, I hate this. Uh, because he's a very pencil or pen and ink kind of guy compared to me. What brand of watercolor pencils are, are, do you use? Ooh, I have my favorite. I've got like four sets of them. And strangely, the Crayola ones are not horrible they, they don't have the saturation mm, that I that's really like yeah that's sometimes. typical yeah. of crayola i feel across the um, across the everything i i have a set i don't even know what they are but they have no wood they are just great big chalk chunky like big thick pencils that have no wood on them and so i will put that in the show notes or actually hold on for a second i will go and find out because they are within arms well not arms reach but they're just in this room so one second okay this can is not what they are. It says Royal Langnickel, but I don't think that's what they are. These are, are oh, they're Artezas. Oh. And they're not super thick, but there's no, uh, no wood there's around no them. Wood. Yeah. And another set of pencils somewhere that was, that was thicker. I guess those weren't watercolors, but these were. And I like these a lot. Yeah. I've only ever used, this is going to sound funny. I have only ever used the Ikea colored water pencils. Ooh. Because I was in Ikea buying something. I think we were, it was when we were remodeling our bathroom and they got me, you know, we're like exiting <laughs> and you have to go through the children's section to get to the warehouse. The children's section is magical, by the way. If you have a dog that likes to thrash stuffed animals and also like pull out hard plastic things and yes. doesn't want squeakers, Ikea children's toys are perfect because there's no hard plastic anywhere. Like the eyes and stuff are just stitched and there's no squeakies and they're child safe. So they're very durable really. <laughs> and they're super cheap. Um, so anyway, we always swing through the children's section and look for a stuffy for Xena. Uh, and they got me cause they had watercolor pencils for, I think it was like $6 and it had a sharpener and a brush and like 10 colors. And I was like, you know what? I want to try it. And I did. And I'm hooked. And I still, nice. they're, they're good. They're decent pigment. Uh, the color blending is not great on them, but if you ever want to try colored pencil watercolors and you're like, I don't know if I want to invest more than $10 it, <laughs> and you're in an Ikea. Them, yeah. When using them, I tend to want to use them like colored pencils and then put the, just put the water on afterwards. But if you remember what makes a good watercolor and you sort of use colored pencils like that, then the pictures turn out so much, so much better, so much more dynamic because a good watercolor is, it's not stagnant looking. It's got, it's got some, it's, yeah. some motion to it. Yeah, it does. Um, yeah. But anyway, this is not what we're talking about. <laughs> I mean, it's part of it. It's involved. <laughs> the Jazz's Pro Artist Series. And do you know which uh, colored pencils they had in that box? 
having wasn't it the it. same brand as the markers? I don't know. Does Spectrum do? Okay, who can? Say? I think Spectrum Probably. did the whole kit. They did the kit, but I didn't know that they actually had. had I thought that was it. I I'm I will put it in the thing in the show notes, saying that uh, I'm completely clueless or only moderately clueless. This is Donald in the editing bay, and I'm just stopping in to say yes, they were Spectrum Noir branded colored pencils. I was completely clueless. Uh, I still have not played with those as much as I probably should before making judgment on them, uh, but I stand by everything else that I said, except for not knowing the brand. Uh, but I will say that when I first got the thing, I was like, I don't need any of Jazz's art as coloring book pages. And then I was working on the coloring of one of the dragon. It was either an undead dragon or dragon that had been all chewed up or whatever it was. And they are an excellent way because they're not printed on cheap old coloring book paper. They are printed on a marker board, which is one of the reasons I was really excited about getting this whole Spectrum Noir uh, kit is because you see some of the stuff that Jazza does on his station or his channel where he's blending markers and all the marker board that I bought at Michael's, uh, I bought like three different kinds and none of them seemed to give me the results that I was looking for. Um, and this... I got to play around with it. I got to do some blending. I got to see sort of how it worked. And it is really worth when you're using a new material, finding a neat way to sort of play with it and give yourself permission to mess up. Because if I mess up one of these coloring book pages, I will be sad for 15 seconds and I will move on to bigger and better things in my life. But if I mess up on a picture that I've spent three days working on or three hours working on, I'm going to be very sad if it's something I did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's good. It's a good point. I was going to say, they, you know, you hear my, they put in a 2B pencil or, or whatever it is. And they put in another pencil and, and a, a little eraser. Their eraser is nice, I guess. It seems like it was a little extra to put in a number four pencil in the box. Uh, but maybe some people don't have those. They got to fill the box and make it look beautiful. Yeah, they, so, they had to add something to yes. add the, to increase the, the quantity of like what you get. Yeah. Uh, the markers are pretty amazing. I have used some alcohol markers before, and I used some of the toxic ones that were in use in the art industry. I've got a set of markers that were my dad's ad agency in the 80s that are still not dry yet. All right. That tells you how incredibly hazardous these markers are. <laughs> yeah, I don't breathe in deeply uh, when you use I open them, and it is like pure brain-killing nostalgia to me. Oh, my gosh. Oh, wow. So yeah. I try, try not to open them. But uh, it is it is nice to have these the alcohol markers, which basically means that it'll reactivate a little bit and allow you to do blending that you're not able to do with a bunch of the cheaper markers that you can yeah. find out in the world. And so what did you think? I haven't actually colored with those. So I'm asking, like, are they, are they decent? Are they... Because I have a couple of Copics that I've bought. Mm. Those are the only alcohol base that I have. I have like, I bought the forest set. I think there's like six colors in them because it's it's an investment and I've never colored with those. I've never gone to school. It's just entirely amateur hour and it's hard to blend with them. I was sort I've sort of started to figure it out. I was watching jazz's videos to like learn how to do it. So are, are these markers in this kit? Are they comparable to Copic or are they better or? Well, I, I mean, they're not as expensive. That's for sure. They're not nearly expensive. These are like two and a half bucks a marker for. Yeah, that's a big pro, honestly. Lines, and I, I like them a lot. The only problem that I have with them, and this is what you would put on the very small, low level of things, is that they come with a case. At least the ones that I got came with like a shelving system. You get whenever you get a batch. They've got a thing right now. If you buy twelve markers, you get the case for twelve markers to go with it. Um, and, the, and it's the kind of thing that goes on your table mm. so that you can pick out your markers. Well, the, the uh, Spectrum Nor markers, they're different biases. So they're wider in one direction than they are in the other. So if you haven't put them in the case right, they don't exactly fit to put the next part on top. But seeing as how I'm traveling around with them right now, that is more of an issue. When yeah. I get, get it at home and put up on my desk, and it's not going to be a problem. Uh, I like them a lot. Uh, they have the markers on the outside to say, hey, this is the brush tip or 
or the thinner pen tip that you've got. And they also have versions of these markers that have looks like more of a chisel tip as well as uh, a marker tip sort of thing. And, and the variety that they have at the store is pretty amazing. And I am actually looking at buying more. So that's telling you. <laughs> no, it's a mistake. We got you on the website. Are they, so this is kind of a thing. This is, I'm super, I try to be super eco-friendly, environmental friendly and, and sustainable and all this. So the other reason that Copic got me mm. is they're refillable. Does yes. Spectrum have anything like that or a recycling program or do you know? They've got replacement nibs and they have re-inkers. Yes, they do. Oh. So, um, I don't know what that means, but let's look at the re-inkers here because these are the important questions actually. Yeah. Yes. Re-inker for a variety of colors and it looks like the color list goes on quite a ways and keeps refilling every time I scroll down. Nice. So, that is a, Yeah. Yeah, there's five pages worth of, of re-inking colors. So I imagine that all the colors you're likely to use a lot of. You can re-ink. That's awesome. I mean, they have warm beige and subtle brown and tan. You can re-ink any of those huh. in addition to all the other colors. And so that's one of the other things is since it's it's an alcohol refiller or what have you, and you can also buy new tips and nibs from them because when you use do a lot of blending, you're either going to wear down a tip or there's a chance that you might taint the tip of color. I imagine though that the, the alcohol will eventually bleed through. And so you're not going to continue to have that, but if you did enough damage, you could replace it. You could re completely refurbish your marker. Yeah. Well, and I looked it up, you, this whole thing got me curious. It looks like the re-inkers, they like, it's a, they refill up to eight times the mm-hmm. marker. That's a, that's amazing. Now I'm like, hmm, maybe we'll, <laughs> maybe I move to Spectrum. I'm, I'm very loosely, uh, like I said, I only have the six Copic. So, oh. And, and I don't think there's a problem. I mean, they're alcohol. Yeah. So this, it's basically rubbing alcohol that's in it. Oh, Jezza did a horrible video. I loved it. I mean, horrible in concept where he made his own alcohol markers with vodka and different alcohols. His videos are borderline clickbait half the time. Um, and they do, they, they work. I watched the one that like got me. I found his channel because I was looking for like how to color with alcohol based markers and how to do blending. Mm-hmm. And then the, the thing that made me go, okay, I'll watch his videos um, was the one where he's, recreating a Bob Ross painting with only hearing the audio. So he, Oh yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it's amazing. Anyway. Um, yeah. His videos are something else. So, and for folks who are interested now in going and checking out Jazza, he has the Jazza page and he has Jazza studios. And so mm, Jazza mm-hmm. studios has his blog. It sometimes has more family stuff. It has a lot of what's going on behind the scenes. He also has tabletop time, which is, um, all the Jezza Studios gaming-related stuff. And the styles of videos on each of these is radically different. Uh, if you just want to see his weird art challenges or what have you, or in the last three months you want to see all about this Jazza pack because he's been using it a lot, uh, yeah, then, then you want to go to his main channel. And if you want to see of his gaming stuff, tabletop time, or if you want to see how a streamer runs his business, I guess go check out the Jazza Studios one. I didn't know he had tabletop stuff. Ah, yes. Uh, they they split it up. So he was putting like his, hey, I'm doing miniatures and stuff when he did his uh, great big mm. Jazza Artie Packs thing. And he realized that the he was having so much fun doing it, but that they weren't getting the same number of clicks because it's a little more niche. Yeah. Uh, So he's like, well, I don't want to quit doing this. So we're going to make a whole new channel for it. And then that was also pretty successful for a tabletop gaming channel. So he ended up hiring like five more people, bought a building, uh, sold off a bunch of his old art. It was pretty amazing, everything that he has gone through. And even though the the style of his videos have sort of changed since he got his new place, Mm -hmm. I suspect a lot of that is this just them trying to make things work until till their workflow evens out, you know, how that goes. Yeah. Wow. He does have a lot of, I don't, he's got so many brands. He does. That he's, he's on weird it. on all of them. 
Yep. Yeah. He, you know, he's true to self. So true the, the one thing I haven't, haven't really talked about in this kit is the fine liners, which are mm-hmm. black pens. And he's got a, one that has a wicked brush tip that is awfully neat and a bunch of variety of other, uh, of other millimeters or points of millimeters, like 0.3 millimeters, 0.1 exact so much, um, the different size of the tip that they have. I like these a lot. I wish that they were sort of thicker around, but I can easily fix that with something that goes on around the outside because they're awfully thin, Mm, but mm -hmm. they ink very well. And I have been playing with them, trying to draw a lot with them without even doing sketching in pencil, or at least without much in the way of sketching. And so I've been posting some of those up on Facebook. We may or may not put some of them in the show notes to torment our listeners. And so that's it. I think it is an amazing set. And if you are looking for it, you can sort of recreate this by going to the Spectrum site. Not a sponsored episode. None of these episodes are sponsored. We should probably fix that. But um, I just, I've enjoyed it so much. And in, and my big takeaway, the biggest thing of all is you don't have to pay top price for qual- high quality stuff. And the medium that you're working on, especially in markers, matters a lot. Your normal thirsty art paper is horrible for markers if it's not designed to allow them to do, you know, the sort of uh, merging or mixing or I forget what the word is now. I've said it already, but blending, blending. There you go. That's why we have you on. You know the words. I know words. I know words. So that's it. That's the Spectrum Noir and Jazz's Art Pack uh, Pro Artist Series Pack. Uh, go and check out uh, Jazz's channel to see all about it. And you can, like I said, probably scavenge up the parts. Yeah. So T, yeah. you talk. What would you like to talk about? <laughs> Me talk. Um, now I want to go color, for quite honest. Um, we could talk about coloring more. I'm good with that. I, just, I mean, I'm kind of, well, so like, the colored pencils you mentioned before we turned on that you weren't super impressed with colored pencils on the Jazz set. Well, it's not that I, I dislike them. They just didn't feel special. Mm. You know, I loved the fine liners a lot. I really like the markers and probably as I use them, I will begin to like them even more. But the fine line, uh, I mean, the uh, colored pencils were, you know, these are okay. Yeah. Well, now, well, and having, now knowing that you grew up on Prismacolor, I'm like, well, this sort of makes sense now. I love um, my buttery Prismacolors. Yeah. What would you compare the jazz, the, the jazz kit ones to, if you could think of a brand, um, something that they're most similar to, do you think? Uh, I mean, I, I would say that they are between Prismacolor and they're no, nowhere near as hard as Crayola. As a Crayola. They're probably a little softer than the Faber-Castell, but not, um, you know, but like I said, I haven't used them that much. I used it on one picture and I'm like, well, that, that's, that's their okay. color puzzles. Yeah. I'll get back to them. That's fair. That's fair. I'm still busy learning how to use the markers. Yeah. Well, and the markers are the real, if we're honest, the markers, I think are the real selling point of that kit for a lot of people. Cause it's a great deal for the markers. So, and the pictures yeah. are great for, uh, for coloring books. If, if you're into it for coloring books and you want a good set, then it probably would have been a good pickup because there's some detailed ones. There's some bigger open areas, you know, there's a, great variety of skill yeah that they're saying if you like to do coloring in them but maybe the next if he does a kit again maybe i'll yeah but i yeah the coloring book thing you you brought up a really good point is that the medium that you're coloring on is super important um and what i end up coloring on mostly is just the books that i'm buying like whatever the book is um so and those books tend to be um, better for colored pencils like they're i think they're made it with the intention that users will be using colored pencils it's which, super dependent right if if, yeah. if it's designed for kids then no well no the adult coloring books but yeah if you get the adult coloring books or or uh, one by an artist that you like or or something like that you know a real art book coloring book then it's yeah much more likely to be appropriate to the medium you're using yeah, yeah. Most of the ones I have are the adult, like the mainstream adult coloring books that you can get at um, stores. 
my grocery store uh, stocks coloring books um, for adults in addition to kids. And so a lot of my coloring books are like Pacific Northwest landscapes. Um, well, yeah, it helps, I guess, me, if you so. live in a scenic area, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that that's true. Um, I'm a little spoiled for choice when it comes to art uh, artists out here <laughs> and like uh, renderings or drawings of the surrounding area. So... Yeah, but that's where most of my coloring books come from, and they're mostly the same style of paper. Um, well, describe, describe the Pacific Northwest picture, right? If you say, here's the generic Pacific Northwest picture, and then I'll describe the Oklahoma picture. So. <laughs> well, the the most typical specific Pacific Northwest picture is generally um, Oceanside cliffs, so not really a beach. If there is a beach, it's like a slim beach, maybe just with pebbles. And you have cliffs and rolling waves uh, going against the cliff face. And then you have like old fir um, or redwood forests like on Mm -hmm. that on those cliff sides or like or the scene is more in the forest to begin with um, where it's very dark and lots of green, just an explosion of green like moss, um, the, the ferns. We've actually got a problem with. Uh, English ivy, which is a whole other thing. It's not native here. It's invasive and it's taking over the fir trees, which is super depressing. But that's horrible. Yeah, it's not great. Um, It's pretty until you know what it is. Um, So, yeah, that problem with kudzu. (laughs) Yeah. Kudzu. I don't know kudzu. Oh, okay. So, kudzu is an invasive Japanese water plant that has taken over the entire southeastern coastline. Great. Probably, I saw it when I was in Virginia, and I, if I had to guess, it has probably made it all the way down to like somewhere in coastal Texas. It grows. You can literally watch it grow in the summer. You can see it getting longer. And yeah, it's it's horrible stuff. Not At least great. it's not like poison ivy or something. That would be... Yeah. Yeah, that's good at least. All right. So I described the Pacific Northwest coloring. What, what do you got? <laughs> So Oklahoma, it's kind of a smear of red across the bottom Mm. with some patches of brown for all the dead grass, a a potentially colorful sky, especially depending on the time of the day. When it's sunset, you might get some beautiful reds and blues. And then you take a a handful of pastel dust and you just throw it right at it. And that's an Oklahoma landscape right there. I mean, you know, it's, it's unique in its own way. It's flat and occasionally colorful. Or ridden by tornadoes. That's that you should. They should hire you for the tourism board. Just no. put that on the billboards. <laughs> That's right. The, the best thing I could do for them is say, "Come to Oklahoma, Donald left." You know. But, uh, no. Yeah. Oof. Mm. Mm. All yeah. right. So beautiful, beautiful. Well, uh, we've. How long have we been talking? We've been like talking for over minutes. half an hour. Yeah. Uh, but we've only covered my exciting thing. <laughs> so I need you to bring something that you're excited about before I will feel at all good about this. Okay. Well, aside from colored pencils, um, I am excited about hiking and snowshoeing. Um, sp- I really like snowshoeing more than hiking, but uh, because I can't get snow year round, I will begrudgingly hike. Um <laughs> So yeah, that's part of the reason why we kind of moved to the, the, we had a laundry list of what we were looking for when we were looking for, when Steve and I were looking to move, my partner and I, um, to uh, start our lives together someplace and the inability to escape to nature um, and just be in nature was really high on the list for both of us. Um, The type of nature was different for both of us. Steve likes water, um, lakes, rivers, oceans, um, seas, um, and I prefer mountains. So uh, Pacific Northwest end up being really perfect for us because we can get to mountains in about an hour and a half and coast in about an hour and a half, um, give or take, right? So um, this time of year is my favorite time of year for hiking and snowshoeing because it's not overly hot and it's not overly crowded because people don't like to go out when it's kind of damp and a little chilly. Um, but having grown up in Colorado, um, you know, with like intense winters, I'm like, this is great. Um, cause it's not bitingly cold. It's just kind of chilly and a few layers kind of fix it. And if you have the right clothing layers, um, 
it's it's entirely manageable. So um, we right now go for a three to five mile hike every weekend, um, sometimes multiple times in the weekend. Um, and we mostly do snowshoeing right now. Um, so we try to get to snow and then uh, do snowshoeing stuff up and around different paths. And the really nice part about the other reason we really, really like it this time of year is the National Forest Services have lots of trails throughout the Pacific Northwest that they maintain for hiking and they have great maps of it. And the trail maintenance crews are fantastic. And in winter, no one is taking these trails because um, your average um, your average hiker that might be doing these trails are definitely more fair weather hikers um, or they're not really comfortable driving up a hill in snow. And a lot of people, if they're driving up to the mountains right now, they're going like skiing or snowboarding. And we're just like, okay, enjoy that traffic and parking lot. <laughs> and then we just pull into an empty um, hiking parking lot uh, off of one of the things and we, and we do snowshoeing. So, um, the trail, there's a trail that's called the Pacific crest trail. I don't know if you're familiar with it. I am um, not. I have okay. experience. I lived in California briefly for about a year and I never made it North of there. So I know very little. Well, so this trail actually stretches from Mexico to Canada. So this is a continuous trail that goes from the border of Mexico all the way to the border of Canada. Mm-hmm. And it goes along the Sierra Nevadas in California and then the Cascade Range up here in um, the Pacific Northwest. And it is, you go through a desert, like you go through Joshua Tree in Southern California, and then you go through Tahoe in, um, you go through like you go close to Yosemite and then like through Tahoe and California. And then in Oregon, you do the Oregon. um, I forget the name of the range. Um, It's like the edge of the Sierras and the start of the Cascades and around Crater Lake. And then you go up to the um, Mount Hood region, which is really close to Portland where we are. And then you go up into the Seattle area um, and Mount Rainier, St. Helens, et cetera. And then you, you get all the way to the edge of Canada um, and you end like, at the Canadian border, essentially. Um, and it's gorgeous. The scenery is intense. There is a YouTube creator. Um, oh, jeez. Her trail name is Tip Tap. Because um, uh, YouTube. Every time I see pictures of Crater Lake, I'm like, that can't be real. It, like, yeah. Amazing. It's crazy. Um, so there's a YouTube creator called... Elena Osborne uh, or Eileen and they made a she made a um, Pacific Crest Trail series that actually got me like super interested in the trail I knew it existed but I didn't know the full information about it and she did this amazing multi-chapter video um, and it's just it just her photography, her, her filmography and, and video storytelling is just, it's just amazing. Um, and so if you've ever been curious about hiking or like long overnight hiking, um, her channel is fantastic. I will send a link so that you can put it in the show notes. Um, and yeah, she just does a really great job capturing the beauty of the trail. And because the PCT comes through this area, we have been hiking it. So every weekend we have been hiking um, or trying to hike a section of the PCT. And in the winter, we were actually snowshoeing it because it's at high enough elevations that you have to have snowshoes because it's very deep snow right now. Um, And so we bought a book for Oregon and we have one for Washington that's like day trips or day hikes. um, And they break up the PCT into small consumable chunks so that you can hike it in like an afternoon or a day, or if you want to do like a weekend, um, you can, you know, camp along the trail if you want. Um, and so we're like, my goal is to hundred percent the PCT at some point. <laughs> and if I have to, if I have to hike the whole thing from beginning to, to end, I will do that. But right now we're really like easing into that kind of hiking, um, by just like doing a few miles at a time. So that's really awesome. And we're really lucky that it's so close to where we are. Um, we can get to a segment of the PCT in about 45 minutes. Um, I think that's the closest segment for us. So, yeah. And and 
every season we go, it's the trail changes because um, at the altitude that it's at, the seasons affect it so much. Um, but it's it's insanely well maintained. Um, and so if you're close to it and you're interested, there are parts of it that cut through private land and those parts are really boring. Um, the owners <laughs> of the private land, <laughs> the owners of the private land have like allowed um, the trail maintainers to do it and hikers to come through. But you're like literally hiking through like pastures um, and some, or ranch land specifically in some areas. Um, or where it's been clear cut, that part, that part kind of sucks where like somebody's bought the land and logged it and then they just didn't maintain it or do anything. So there's a lot of invasive plants that have come in after. Um, you can always tell when you're hiking along the trail, what's maintained by the National Forest Service and what's maintained by like private, private owners. It's night and day. So hmm. um, yeah, but that's what I'm super into right now. Um, and it's really funny because Steve, my partner, um, he didn't ever really do like hiking, hiking as a kid. His family wasn't into like, yeah, they'd go on a thing, but it was more of the like hiking was like a big deal. It was like a lot of, it was a production to do. Um, and then at the same time, it wasn't very exciting. It was like, because it was such a production and they didn't do it very frequently. It was, it was like, well, why are we doing this? <laughs> So, so he's really into it now as well. Um, but, um, so he's now to the point where like, where are we going this weekend? Are we doing this one? I want to do this one. (laughs) Um, so I converted him, which is great, but a lot of it came from, we had to spend a good amount of time, like finding his equipment to, to, to use. So good shoes. That's a really hard part of it. You don't have to have like fancy hiking shoes. You just have to have shoes that are comfortable to walk long distances in. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't need to be overpriced, ridiculous hiking boots. They can be like Nikes, um, you know, like your used shoes, you mow the lawn in, you know, like whatever, as long as there's good support. Um, and then like getting layers was a really big one for him. Cause he grew up in North Bay, California. Um, yeah, and okay. so beautiful weather all the time. Um, so when I was like, you need layers, he was like, you mean like, like a puffy down jacket? And I was like, no, like. <laughs> You need like a t-shirt and then a, another t-shirt that's like longer sleeves. And then you need like a sweater and then you need right. like a rain layer and that's it. So if so. you'd gotten someone from San Francisco, they might've understood layers Yeah, because the weather there is hostile to you know, informed dressing, right? But oh yeah. They, San Francisco, the, the San Francisco tourist uh, industry depends on people coming thinking, oh, it's summer in San Francisco. I'll wear shorts and, and, and like a tank top. <laughs> and then you're like freezing. So you leave with sweatshirts. Yeah. Yep. And sweatpants. Yep. I have yep. seen so many people buy <laughs> those sweatpants like and are putting them on as the person like is swiping the credit card. <laughs> so, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, so I've got a couple questions about the whole hiking thing. The first is that what is the big difference if you were to walk this? Actually, I'm going to ask the easier question first. Okay. Okay. You're trying to walk the whole thing and you finished at one spot and you go back the next day or the next week. Do you walk to exactly, start at exactly that same spot and then walk? Or do you, I mean, how do you keep track of that? Or is it just your brain's that good? Well, so we have a book. So we are specifically doing the books kind of as our stuff. And because the Pacific Crest Trail is very well documented and maintained and tracked, you actually, to hike the entire thing, you actually have to um, sign up and get a spot with the National Forest Service because they check you through certain checkpoints to make sure you don't like die. Um, (laughs) People have, people have to get like emergency airlifted out because you're like, at some point there's a part in California where you're hiking over like the summits of the Sierras um, at a very, very high altitude. And even in summer, there's snow. And so people, if they fall, they can cause an avalanche or like, it's not great. It's, it's, there is a level of danger on it. So they do track it. Um, so if you're hiking the actual full PCT, um, as a PCT hiker, which is, I'm not sure if it's a bucket list item for me yet, but it's like, I kind of want it to be, um, hiking with intent. Yeah. You have to, you have to take like three to four months off. Uh, work because you just live on the trail. Um, 
you you have to carry all your food and water and there's places where you can get water um and there are uh campsites that literally just like people drop off water at um and you can fill up your canteens and then there's streams and snowmelt um but one of the things that you do is you like mail yourself packages that have food in them so you mail packages before you leave um to different way stations and the way stations have like just lockers and you have a code for your locker and they tell they give you like a window. You tell them like when you think you'll be at that way station and they make sure your package that you mailed yourself is there. And it's just like a resupply of like dry food or whatever you want. So it's like an intense, <laughs> it's a very intense thing. So you know exactly where you are at all times on that trail. Um, for us, cause we're just like easing into it. We have the book. Um, and so we just know, and I keep notes in the book, like we did this segment, um, we did that. And then we have a big map, um, cause you can get the maps from the park services that have like the entire route and we can highlight it. So nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's so a huge, I forget how many miles it's like a thousand something miles. There has to be like writers who have used this drop-off system in one of their books, like some sort of mystery or espionage thing. That would be amazing. So if you're a listener and you've read any of these, please let me know Yeah, if, if this is a thing, because I find the whole premise just fascinating. And it's super interesting. Yes. And they have this similar, this system is exists for, it's a, it's a type of hiking called through hiking. Um, and they have it on the Appalachian trail as well on the East coast. Mm-hmm. Um, and that trail is, is similar, but very different. Um, that trail you're hiking mostly through, um, Eastern U S, uh, forests and lower mountain ranges and mosquitoes are your nightmare. Um, what you don't have mosquitoes one. out there. We do have mosquitoes, but they're not as, uh, prolific for the entire trail, like the Appalachian trail. Um, and the Appalachian trail has actually just generally wetter and muddier and on that trail, it's more common for you to actually sleep in a hammock um, because there's so many trees and they're kind of narrow. Um, there's less places that are dry um, and also flat enough and large enough to put down a tent, even in like a small single person tent. Um, so it's really interesting because when I got into this, I started looking into other <laughs> through hikes, long through hikes. Um, and I found that one and I thought it was really interesting. The difference between like equipment suggestions and requirements between the two trails. So, yeah. Hmm. That's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would, I don't know that I could do any of that, but it is interesting and I probably should get out and wander around more. I just don't live. I live in an area that I consider hostile to being outside because South Carolina is all about, well, the mosquitoes and yeah, there's alligators and snakes. One of the things that I got really into um, in the pandemic, because we couldn't go anywhere, was exploring. And they also, at a certain point for Oregon, they didn't want us leaving like the 50 mile radius around like where you lived or something. And after Mm -hmm. actually for a while, it was like 10 miles. So one of the things we did was we looked into the urban spaces and we found... um, we found parks and trails maintained by like park services and whatnot in our cities that were actually really decent. And they're, they're kind of cool because they kind of go like behind houses and between developments and, and kind of like in the cracks of the mm-hmm. city, but they're maintained. Um, and so it could be um, your municipal, your, your city or your County might have some options like that um, yeah. for more urban exploration or walking. Um so yeah. Do you do any letterboxing or geocaching while you're doing this? Or are you focusing exclusively on the walk? I've tried geocaching and letterboxing and I just get, I found that I just got, Steve was really into geocaching. He likes finding it, but I've, I get frustrated if I can't find it quickly. <laughs> like, oh I'm like, I don't want to root around the, the thing. And yeah. So, um, my nephew is super into geocaching. So if we are doing something with him, 
will try geocaching. But um, me, myself, I much prefer just the hike. And we tend to, if we're not doing one of our PCT segments, we're we're usually doing the hike to something. So like a waterfall, Mm. a lake, um, a view, um, the top of something is really popular. Um, (laughs) (laughs) One day we did a hike, and this was like literally the worst hike we've picked in years. But we should have known because it was, it's in, there's a town in Oregon called Boring. It's Boring, Oregon. And there's a trail in it. And it's a city, it's an urban trail that's maintained by the city. And it's three miles um, one way. So you have to go three miles down and then three miles back. And it's got a little parking lot and all this stuff. And we're like, oh, yeah, let's try it. It'd be great. Um, So we drove 45 (laughs) minutes to get to the town of Boring and do this trail. And that trail was boring. It was flat and, like, straight. And there was nothing to see. And you were going along power lines. And we looked into it, and the reason it was so flat and straight and nothing really interesting to see is because when some railroad company was cutting the railroad through the town, they cut the railroad line that long. And then they were like, oh, we actually don't need it that far. So they, they capped the railroad station further into town. And they turned that segment of the railroad um, that they had cut straight and flat and like they'd even laid it out to prep putting the railroad ties and stuff down. They were like, Oh, this is great for running like power lines and like water stuff. And so <laughs> the city maintains it and keeps it nice for utilities access. Um, and they're like, it's a great walking place. And it was just, it's very boring. Um, it's very boring. But if you uh, want a very easy walk, for easing into walking that you can turn around at any time because there's literally no achievement to get to the end. <laughs> like aside from just getting to the end, I recommend that one. Um, we eventually realized it was very boring. And so we made it a goal to do the full there and back in under two hours. Um, and so we definitely hustled it. Um, so we did six miles in two hours, which it's not a lot. Sometimes you have to bring your own fun, right? Yeah, we had to 100% bring our own fun on that one. That was that was a, that we didn't have music. Like even the dog was like, "Could we just like mm. Yeah. So you don't bring music on your hikes? No, we don't do music. Um we usually just talk. <laughs> I mean, um or just if you're if you're hiking with someone, that's a good plan, right? Yeah. Um or just be like on our own. It's, there's the safety things in certain parts of where you're hiking. There's, um, safety concerns with wild animals, cougars, um, coyotes, bears, that kind of stuff. So you don't want to, you want to be able to hear something crashing through the underbrush towards you. (laughs) Um, I, I am genetically unsuited for, uh, for hiking. I think is what we just discovered. Well, it's only different hikes are different. You know, you can pick your, you can pick your complexity, the boring hike, I'm just going to call it that now. It wasn't called that, but that's what it is now. It is. Um, It's in our hearts and souls. Yep. Um, That one, while we were on it, there were a lot of people running it, Uh, which which sort of makes sense because if you're doing a long distance run or you're training to run, um, kind of flat level straight ground is is nice to have. Um, And they definitely had headphones on. Um, So if it says... Good for running. It's not the hike you're looking for, probably. Probably, yeah. No, not not for me, unless yeah, or unless it's trail hiking or trail running. But um, this was definitely because it was an urban trail in the middle of a a little small town. So, um, yeah. But that one we could have gotten away with music. We just didn't have any. So. One one or two questions to wrap up. Have you ever come back to your car and find it had been broken into or nope. or anything yet? Oh, good. Never. Knock on wood. I have never had a car broken into. Um, you just don't leave. It's kind of standard, like park like you're parking in Oakland. Uh, just don't oh, leave. Oh, I live in <laughs> Oakland. That's. Mm. I mean, don't leave anything like out and obvious in your car. And like if you have a water bottle or something, people don't mess with that. And that's kind of a reasonable thing to keep in the car. Um, we'll keep like spare trunk. coats. Yeah. Yeah, lockable trunk is kind of is the other thing. Um, and we just don't, uh, you know, like I said, park like you're parking in Oakland. Never put something of value in the trunk 
at the place that you're parked at. So like if you get out of your car and you're like, oh, right, I have my laptop in the backseat. Don't take it from the backseat and then put it in the trunk because when you come back to your car, it's not going to be there no more Um, (laughs) because somebody's probably watching you do that. Um, So I just kind of use I yeah, spent a lot of time in North Bay when I lived in Silicon Valley. So general safety. And and the other is if, if you walk a trail when it's covered in snow versus it's not covered in snow. What what's the big difference? What is you going to notice during the during your walk, or you know what extra precautions do you have to take besides you know uh, waterproof shoes? Yeah, um, you definitely. So um, it's quieter. Mm-hmm. It is so much quieter, and there's so one of the things that I love about snow is how it kind of resets everything. Um, and in the forest with hiking, it does that to an extreme because there's no plows plowing the hiking trail. There's no people shoveling sidewalks. Nobody's shoveling the hiking trail. Um, And so you see the footprints of animals in the forest in a way that you don't normally um, because they're just on top of the snow. And um, the whole forest is blanketed um, because a lot of the smaller animals are hibernating or or whatnot, um, especially if it's extra cold. So it's really, really nice. It's like a nice calming reset. And then as far as like extra stuff, you definitely need some sort of traction or foot stuff. So if it's very deep snow, you need snowshoes and those help spread the load of your weight. Um, They make your footprints larger so that the weight is distributed more. um, Your weight is distributed more so you don't sink through the snow as bad. Um, You can still seek through the snow while wearing snowshoes. I definitely have been hip deep um, on accident, which is the whole funny thing. It's another reason why you don't want to go alone snowshoeing. Um, And when you do have those snowshoes on, you definitely want poles because your stability is a little different. Um, Mm -hmm. And if you're not, if the snow is not deep enough to need snowshoes, I recommend at least some sort of like um, chain for your shoes. Um, So they sell these like, um, there, uh, there's a brand called Yak Tracks. I don't know if I recommend them, but, um, they're the best, they're the easiest to Google, but it's essentially, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's, it's like chains for your shoes instead of your car. Um, and it gives you amazing grip and traction control in a way that like just rubber hiking boots can't beat no matter how much tread you have. Um, cause they're literal metal spikes. So if you're on, if you hit a patch of ice, you're just like, whatever, it just crunches. So, um, nice. yeah, that's definitely, if you're into like snow, snow, um, and REIs will rent you snowshoes, um, and you can get snow chains and, um, a lot of local smaller sporting equipment shops, um, if they do ski rentals, very frequently they will also do snowshoe rentals. Um, and they'll also have like maps and trails for you. And it's like $15 a day. So um, it's a really more approachable way to get out and do snow things. Um, and the rentals are really great. It's actually, and it's it's $15 a day, but that's kind of a misnomer because it's they, it's $15 a day, but you pick them up the day before you go on the hike and you drop them off the day after the hike. So it's really like, yeah, it's really, it's $15 for three days, really. Oh, okay. Yeah, they don't charge you for the day you pick it up and they don't charge it charge you for the day you drop it off. So if you're like doing a weekend, right, um, you could pick them up, snowshoe the evening, do the day and then, you know, do one in the morning and then drop them off on the way home kind of thing. So, um, yeah, you don't have to, you don't have to buy the very expensive, nice snowshoes to try snowshoeing, which is one of the reasons we, we really got into it. So, yeah. Wow. Well, I, I, so the problem is, is that the title I've got for this is the spectrum of boring, but I don't want to infer that hiking is boring. So we'll have to come up with a better title for the episode. (laughs) The spectrum Uh, of boring. That's really good. Yeah. But, uh, what I want to do is thank you very much for joining me. This has been, I've learned more about hiking than I thought that there was to know. So that's exciting. And it's always a pleasure talking with you, T. And could you let our listeners know one last time uh, where you can be found on the internet? 
Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I am most frequently on Twitter and you can find me at the one tar on Twitter, mm-hmm. um, spelled out. Uh, and yeah, um, I'm the one tar everywhere else too. I've got an old YouTube channel. Uh, I've talked to you before about Donald, but, um, yes, yes. yeah. So Back at the very beginning. Yeah. I think you were the first ever podcast I was on. It's straight. That may be true. That may yeah. be true. Uh, I will pretend that I had foresight. <laughs> Well, I, you're doing new stuff now. Is it media related or anything you want to share? Work, yeah, or do you sure. want to keep that all secret for now? Oh no, we can. It's it's public now. So, okay. um, I think the last time I was on one of your podcasts, I was working at Hobba Games. I was the yes. games channel manager. Um, I left that position and uh, to start my own tabletop publishing um, division at a company. So I am now nice. a co-founder of a gaming studio. Um, it's called Snowbright Studio, and they traditionally, originally, um, were more focused on video games, um, specifically mm-hmm. in like as a service. So they would make video games for companies or the government or or that kind of stuff um, to help with different needs and whatnot. Specifically, more focusing on um, LGBTQ plus stuff, um, and now. With me coming on as a co-founder, uh, we're going to be making board games and role-playing games with that. So yeah. we need to have you on a different show is what I'm hearing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it's kind of crazy right now. This has actually been really nice to not talk about board games. I love board games. I love my job. But I also am like, I'm constantly talking about it right now. So it's been really nice mm-hmm. to talk about my other hobbies. So thank you. And that's really that's one of the reasons we started this show is that Eric and I have been talking about board games and role-playing games since 2008. And we're like, we have friends who like other stuff. Can we talk to them about that? And so, you know, I never would have known about your passionate love of coloring books and trail walking. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know about, I didn't know we shared an interest in coloring. So that was awesome. Well, excellent. Uh, Listeners, thank you very much for joining T and myself on this wonderful excursion across spectrums of boredom. No, we can't call it that. It's a good <laughs> name, but no. Uh, anyway, uh, find me and the other folks who help create these shows over at inversegenius.com. You can also find me at our Facebook group, Inverse Genius. Uh, the Twitter is still at On Board Games. So that's it, everybody. Thank you for listening. And T, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. That's it for this episode of the Inverse Genius Podcast. The Inverse Genius Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 License. Thank you.